0: www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com.
1: Not that they were funny people and joke tellers, but they knew how to use their personality to defuse stress and conflict while gaining the commitment to others to their ideas. This is the real bottom line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started.
0: Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. My guest today is Tim Brennan, and I'm super excited to talk to him because he is a wealth of knowledge about all things fit. Tim, welcome. But
1: but not the fitness kind as we're going to do exercise.
0: No, 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 not at all.
1: <laughs> good, good. I, way I too early right in the now. morning for you to start talking that way to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tim, uh, you know, I start off a little bit with the journey. Uh, I'd love to understand how you got into running your own business uh, and how did you end up doing the stuff you're doing now?
1: Well, you know, if if we say that they always start, what was it? They uh, used to say, uh, start with the end in mind. I, I never did. This is not an call where I ever thought I'd be. It just, it evolved to this.
0: Yes.
1: Um, I think my first business was when I was about 15 years old, Wendy. Uh, I was in high school. What did you do, Tim? What did you do? Um, Well, well, the first business, let's let's say, I'll I'll go back. The first business I had where it didn't involve another employee working for me.
2: Yeah. I
1: used to actually sell stuff out of my locker at high school.
0: What stuff, Tim?
1: So, oh, no, no. (laughs) Mother's Day cards, Father's Day cards, oddly enough, um, lottery tickets. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because my parents owned a convenience store. Oh, okay. Right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I at one point I was almost running my own little canteen out of my locker, like in grade nine.
0: So the entrepreneur bug hit early.
1: The entrepreneur bug hit early. Well, you know, it's funny, I just, you know, is it is, is entrepreneur really just, you know, fulfilling a need? creating a demand, but, yeah. um, and I had a captive audience between classes, Perfect. Uh, I, you know, then a few other things started kicking up. So um, when I was 15, one of the things that ended up, I grew up, uh, I would say born and raised, Brantford, Ontario, not my fault. And, and back in the 1970s, uh, there was an event that occurred and this is what really started me getting involved in all kinds of different projects. Uh, we got involved in a project where Arthur Feeler and the Boston Pops were going to be playing in a concert on an island in the middle of the Grand River.
2: Okay. And
1: through a whole bizarre set of circumstances, I ended up sitting at the backyard with a friend of mine whose dad was the concert promoter, and I just happened to mention, so what are you doing about concessions? And he hadn't thought of it. Oh. So I ended up at 15 picking up the concession rights to an outdoor concert for Arthur Feeler and the Boston Pops anticipated audience of about 30,000 people. (laughs) I'm 15. The first thing I had to do is I had to hire an employee. So it's funny, you know, I think the theme today is going to be around fit. Well, I had to find fit. And you know, one of the things that a lot of businesses will do when they're hiring their first employee is they hire them for their skill set. They don't necessarily think about the who they are because you're not really sure. You haven't had any experience really yet about who works well with you.
0: Yeah.
1: But- uh, the first, I had to hire a skill set and the skill set, I need to hire somebody who had a driver's license because I was 15 and I couldn't drive. So you so,
0: need someone to go do the driving around and pick stuff up.
1: So, so the very first person ever worked for me, her name was Rosalie McNeil. Gosh, love her. I don't know where she is today. This is, we're talking 1977, 78.
0: Yeah.
1: A you 77. Know, and um and she had a car she had access to a car and so that got us up and uh running and we got our business we actually had a great day um and we ended up having it by the time was all said done we had 40 staff that day never done so this then led to the next business where i ended up (laughs) uh still remember still in high school right i'm 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 in i'm in like grade 10 grade 11 uh, and then in grade 12, I ended up securing the contract to be the cleaning company for a bingo hall. Um, they had a, a request for it. So I put in a thing and and the, big, the rules, the, the, the thing was they would pay you so much a night to clean the bingo hall it was six nights a week. And they needed the staff to come in at 10 o'clock when the bingo ended and then make sure it was ready for the next day when it opened again at 4 p.m. Okay. So, you had to go in. So, fine. So, um, I hired a bunch of high school students around me, and we had a roster. And every night at 10 o'clock, you came to the door, and I'd have six kids come in, clean the whole place in an hour and a half, not hire one person to come in. So, I figured out the logistics, the man hours. We did it, and we could do the thing. And it took about eight hours, six, eight hours to clean it. So, if you got five people in, you could do it in an hour and a half. So, everyone got Everyone got got paid in cash as they left the door. And then I made, you know, I made the difference for being the coordinator. So so it's funny, that got me started into this whole uh, being comfortable taking a little bit of risk.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Right. So, and just
0: going for it from the sounds of it, as opposed to wondering, do I have the credentials? Am I old enough to do this? You're like, I'll just figure well, that all
1: out. But you see, I had, a, I had a music teacher at the time. His name was Jim McCormick. And the thing that I learned from him, you know, they talk about who are those people that influenced you and, and mentored you. I don't think he actually meant to mentor me, but what I I what he instilled in me was the, well, just do it. You know, I never checked to see if I couldn't. You know, a 15-year-old getting the license to do a concession at a concert, I, I didn't know. I didn't matter. I'm, I'm, it's funny. I still find that at, at 59 years old. I'm still, I, I don't know. Let's just do it. (laughs) So I think
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So the journey, so there's this whole kind of crazy stuff. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'm supposed to be like a real person and get a job. So I went to, I finished high school, went to university, became a junior intermediate elementary school teacher, subject being music. Okay. Okay. Graduated with the two degrees to become a music teacher and lasted uh, three months.
0: Well, where where was the mix? Where was the issue with the fit there, Tim? <laughs> well,
1: I wasn't I wasn't mature enough to be with the, to actually manage the students.
0: Um,
1: but uh, no, I remember you know you yeah, you know you have you know you're in the wrong job. When I should maybe that should be the book I should make. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you know, it's funny. It's funny that when you know you should make me kind of go through the storyline. Because of, because of the sort of life cycle I've been through in this business cycle, I've kind of come up along the way with these sort of like my big 10 ideas.
0: Yes.
1: And one of my big ideas is learn from the mistakes of others. You don't have time to make them all yourself. So listen, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like, <coughs> one of the things I learned is the first thing I noticed when I went into teaching was I met a whole bunch of people in the staff room. You remember when you're, when you're the student, you think that's the big special room
0: Oh my God. It was like this, this such a, uh, it was, it was a, yeah, it was very special because no student. And if you ever got right. to even look in it, Oh my God, what a day,
1: you know, and your visions of it, you know, the buffet along the wall, coffee, whatever that was when you were in grade five. Right. And, 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 and then we actually went in there, you found out they were all miserable. There was, I was among so many people who hated their jobs. Mm. who were all caught up in, I like to say, you know, measuring the wrong things about what's going on. Right. You know, and, and there were people hanging on there. Was, I remember there being a calendar on the wall of somebody marking how many weeks they had left until they retired. Yeah. And I mean, and they'll and combine that with the fact that when I'm in the classroom, one of the things I had to do in the curriculum in grade six was they had in the, this was in Ontario, Susanna Moody Elementary School, Belleville, Ontario, is where I was a teacher. Okay. I also and so um, uh, the I had a I had a lovely little guy who was all excited because one of the things in grade six they did was they had to come in and stand up and do a presentation about and, and share their the music that they enjoy and they like and introduce the rest of the class to the music they enjoy, and I had this one little guy who wanted to come up, and his, he was going to do Paul McCartney. Wonderful. Great. So this guy's going to stand up. He starts talking about Paul McCartney. He's done all his homework, all his research, and he's going to play us a little bit of music from Paul McCartney. And I'm thinking, wow, what are you going to pick from Paul McCartney you're going to play? Well, he starts talking about Paul McCartney and how he used to be in this really important band and this very uh, influential band called Wings. Somewhere along the line, he missed a little bit of information, and we listened to "Band on the Run." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, you think about so. So I, I, I recognize that. Geez, the first was the first time in my life where I started rec meeting people who I thought, "Oh my goodness, I don't want to be them when I grow up," mm. and I'm not sure I'm really cut out to be. Now, working in a classroom, I found I had I had lots of disciplinary issues. Uh, it was an open school concept. I did not have the skill set or, as I've learned, learned the since then, the interest in wanting to manage people. And- well,
0: which is so funny about where, you know, if we fast forward a little bit now here for the last, how many years have you been working in the industry of... Uh, employee, I, I don't know, right. The right employee assessments or making sure that people can help give people the tools to hire the right people.
1: You know, it's, it's oddly enough, it's really been, I'm going to say half, half of the years I've had this business. Okay. Cause it, 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 it evolved into that because that was the part that was always missing. Mm. Right. So I, I found that school wasn't good enough The right fit for me. I thought, okay, I got to go get a job until I figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. So I took a job with Frito Lay snack foods. Why not? My parents own a convenience store. I've seen the guy driving a potato chip truck. I've seen him come into the store. How hard can this be? I'll go do that. And then while I'm doing that, I'll figure out what I really want to do. Yeah. 13 years later, (laughs) I actually left the company after being in seven different departments within the organization. So I started out as a summer relief driver. One point I was the national training manager for all of Canada. So I worked my way up through the company. And along the way, I started learning about more about fit for me and seeing others. Yeah, You know, I, it's funny, there was a guy I used to work with, I, um, you know, I used to say that, you know, every, he, you know, he, he died three years ago, but every Monday morning he still comes to work. You know, and and, and the guy was in a rut and he couldn't afford to leave. And he, his whole his whole career was around not getting fired. OK, because he couldn't afford to like, you know, well, I've been doing this for 25 years. I don't think I could ever do anything else. And he just he, he, he'd just have to go and do stuff he didn't want to do. Didn't, wasn't the right thing. You know, it was burning him out. He was tired. He was always stressed, but he had to keep playing this game. Mm. He didn't feel he could go anywhere. I thought, okay, I don't want to be that either. Yep. You know, and and it's funny. You're
0: and, eliminating things you didn't want to do. Well, you're narrowing I had, and narrowing and
1: narrowing. Yeah. I couldn't find the role model. I, you know, and when you know, show me some, and then you start meeting these people who do have energy. they, they they're engaged in what they're doing. They're excited about what they're doing. One of one of my big uh, ten ideas that came up with was that um, of that enthusiasm is contagious, right? Yeah. And 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 I found people who got enthusiastic about things, and they were there. By the way, they were there at Frito Lay. But um, well, the thing that happened to me, and this is the big huge if you had to say the turning point in my corporate career, yeah, of thirteen years was I'm in Chicago, I'm at an event. I'm at this point, I'm in HR, I'm a training manager and I'm training other training managers across Canada. And then someone started talking about this thing called the Peter Principle. Now you don't hear about this much anymore, but back in the 80s and 90s, the Peter Principle was the concept that people do a really good job, they get promoted. People do a really good job, they get promoted. And then you do a mediocre job and you stay there which is what fuels the mediocrity within corporate structures. Yeah, That was the principle then. And I said, hey, wait a minute, maybe we misunderstand what they're talking about. Maybe what we're really saying in the Peter Principle is that people get promoted to the place where the organization is no longer in the right fit to develop this person any further. Why are we blaming the person who got hired for getting promoted. And that started a whole brain going about a whole different things. One of the things I, all of a sudden I recognized, my goodness, like I say, I'm 59 years old and I've been doing work with organizations, either helping them from the side or in them for 40 years. And I have never once in my life ever met an HR manager who got fired For inappropriately hiring someone. Oh, interesting. I've only seen the people they hire inappropriately get blamed for it. The person who hires them doesn't lose their job.
0: Well, isn't that a a twist on things?
1: But bad for your career to mention that at an HR conference. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Uh, And now we take the turn. (laughs) at At that point, I got told, that's really great out of the box thinking, Tim. And discovered in the corporate world, out of the box thinking isn't really appreciated. No. And the way that corporate worlds move people around like me was they promote me. So they promote me out of HR, and they promote me over to logistics. Okay, because so, Tim's out-of-the-box thinking will be a really great value to their problem-solving over there with logistics, shipping, distribution, and all that. Which that remember this thing started as the Peter Principle. Now this this creates what I call the I now actually coined it the Brennan Principle, that within large corporations people actually get promoted to the place where we do the least amount of damage.
0: Oh.
1: So all this led up to, I got to go do something else and I got to go help. So I stepped aside from corporate. I went out and did some work with um, uh, organizations and sales teams because that pretty much, you know, managed helping develop sales teams, uh, managing sales teams and hiring sales teams.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that whole thing says, because part, part of what happened was I'd hired about 250 people in my career at Frito-Lay, adding this whole other thing with HR, adding the thought that when I was there, I hired about 250 people, and I got it right about half the time.
0: Oh,
1: and that kind is of- probably not bad,
0: actually, oh, is it? That made me a rock
1: star, right? That's why they had me training other people. The thing is, I had no idea why. Mm -hmm. I had no idea why did we get it so right one time and so wrong the next. So was that the
0: question that led you on the the next part of your journey? That's it. That is the
1: big question. And then, then I got obsessed with trying to figure it out. Okay. Because I get obsessed about things and then I go wait. And that's part of the oddly enough, partly about the who I am and it plays in the pattern. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I got absolutely into it. And then I started doing a whole bunch of work and I got really fortunate. I got access to some funding through a couple of chambers of commerce in Alberta. We did a couple really interesting data studies. Okay. And uh, I was really lucky because I had credentials to actually have people answer my call when I could tell them about my background. And so um, we did a study. And, I, and one of the things they looked at was if you're hiring somebody, um, what is it you're looking for? And I I did a I did one of these giant surveys of 200 businesses and says you know what what is it when you when, how do you decide who you're going to hire I thought I'd start really simple yeah and I found out it was a really interesting list they, they you know they hired, for lack of a for lack of to bring it all together real quickly for you it'd be they would be things like you know they had a, they had a great resume they had everything I'm looking for in skill set
0: mm-hmm. okay.
1: they um, they showed up early. Or on time, prepared for the interview. That was really important. Very
0: important. Right. Well, they also did not have any typos in their resume. No
1: typos. No typos, typos. at all in their thing. That it got you through. Um, also, during the interview, they we, they came. They asked questions. And they came prepared and organized. And those those were really things that that recruiters and employers were putting value on. And then what they they also really liked was after they've been interviewed that the candidate did follow-up and check to see, you know, how things were. And, and is there something I missed was, you know, can you help me understand so I understand better next time? And it's funny, I was actually presenting this um, over years. I've had, I've had people in rooms go, wow, I wish every candidate would hit all those buttons, Tim. That would be just amazing. I have all these great candidates. The second step was, all right, now let's take a look at the performance of your people right? And if we think of it in a big bell curve, who are the people you wish you had a basket full of? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And who are the people you wish you could stick in a basket? I used to call them top performers and poor performers. I now recommend that you refer to your people as your stars and your passengers. Okay. Stars and passengers. Stars and passengers. Because when I talk to business owners, they never have poor performers.
0: Right. Because then that that reflects on
1: their skill to hire people or, or, or to fire.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Cause there's firing smart too. <laughs> and so you've got passengers and the passenger in the business is the person that's okay. All right. And frankly, doesn't hurt you. That's why you didn't fire them. And, 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 and part of it too can be as a business owner, you brought them in and you're not prepared to admit you made a mistake. Right. So you accommodate for them.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Right. you know our egos get in the way
0: can a business run with all stars like should you be shooting for all stars
1: i think you need goalies and defensemen and um scorers different roles in the organization different hats take fire different size heads okay right um but the team needs to gel the team needs to align yeah. So, so interesting when we went to the study and we looked at top performers versus poor performers, people say, oh, I don't have any poor performers. Okay. So we'll be stars and passengers. Well, I don't really measure my people that way. So I had to drop it down to, okay, who do you wish you had a basket full of and who do you wish you could stick in a basket? Yeah. And then, boy, all of a sudden they could do it.
2: Okay.
1: The only problem is out of 200 companies in the study, only 90 of them actually measured performance. Interesting. So that was my first aha moment that. We don't measure much, and then I, I I found that there was this thing called I, I now call it the uh, the, the GGF, the the good guy factor.
0: Okay. Oh, yes. I know he's
1: a bit of a handful, but you know he's a good guy. <clears throat> he's been around a long time. He knows a lot of stuff. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. And and when we when we when could get organizations that could tell me the different performance groups. All that stuff that was how they got hired was irrelevant. And here's the big, so in the big numbers, there's like seven different things, but here's three things, three things that every time you do the look at who's the top performers and who's the poor performer, three things that always show up. Number one is they learn quickly and don't get bogged down with the wrong details. Yeah. Caveat being, they learn the way we communicate. They fit with our struct, our style of communication. Yeah. Fit being there, right? It's not how smart they are. It's that they put the accent on the right, you know, on, on the right priority.
0: Yeah.
1: And the people who misunderstand instructions or create a different series of priorities because of the communication not happening, sender and receiver aligned, that costs companies a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're, you're making me think of, I moderated a leadership panel one time and one of the leaders, both very successful companies. One of the leaders was very like, if you interviewed there, you interviewed at least seven times, you talked to everybody on the team and you did everything else and everything was very collaborative. And then leader B was very much, um, uh, you know, I hire you, go do, Don't tell me, only tell me if there's something wrong. You know what I mean? Like, so very hands-off, very almost um, dictatorial. Let's just get this done yet. So here are these two massive things. So I think the key was, and this comes down to your comment before, is you, they hired people that worked well with their style. Yeah. So that they could get the results. They,
1: They had the fit there.
0: So there wasn't like, it was a necessary, there's one way to be a leader there's a way to be a leader and build a team.
1: Well, and then and then culturally you decide, do you change your style to set and suit the people you have or do you bring people who fit with your style? Right.
0: Which
1: so, can so be style
0: and, and be okay with
1: that. Well, you know, I can't fix Ed. I can only change the way I communicate with Ed. Right. Am I prepared to do what I need to do so Ed will be successful? That's a huge emotional shift from Ed's a problem and saying, you know what? I'm not the right manager for Ed. That's a very different fit. And that's acknowledging you're part of the relationship as a manager and as a leader. Yep. Right?
0: I actually think that's pretty profound.
1: You know, good people in wrong jobs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So
1: that was number one. Number two? Yeah, sorry. Oddly enough, number two is the people you wish you had a basketball of are the first ones that um, want to know how well they're doing and take personal responsibility for their own results. They don't, you know, and, you know, top performers are the first people when they probably sign up for webinars, sign up for courses, sign up for sales training, right? The top performers are the ones that want to make sure they keep on their game. Yeah. The the poor performers blame the customer bad bad customer didn't follow the proper rules. They blame they they blame uh, they blame the product. They blame shipping. They blame their phone. They blame their every. This is their personal code of arms.
0: Uh, one of my favorite things. Uh, so Tim Tim, you and I go way back, but I always remember your story about your favorite interview question, and that was. Um, tell me something funny that happened to you and maybe you could go down that oh, road a little bit yeah, no, and that's what, talk yeah, the a question. bit about what that showed you
1: yeah it was funny the, the the question has always been what's the funniest thing that ever happened to you at work
0: okay sorry yes okay. thank you yeah
1: and the def- and the emphasis is what happened to you at work because that's the detail you're listening for do they actually tell you something that happened to them or did it happen to someone else yeah. right and that's the phone fo- so there so that for all those people who think typos are really important replace it with this what we did find was the answer to that question the content didn't matter what did matter was that exactly what i just said who did it happen to
0: yeah
1: so the the people you wish you had a basket full of the funniest thing always at work happened to them and we were all able to laugh And the people that you wanted to now avoid or move out of your business, the funniest thing that happened to them at work happened to someone else and we all laughed at them. And none of that's in a resume. So you got um, learns quickly, doesn't get bogged down with the wrong details. You got takes personal accountability for their own reaction uh, results. Third one was they had a sense of humor. Mm. Not that they were funny people and joke tellers, but they knew how to use their personality to diffuse stress and conflict while gaining the commitment to others, to their ideas. And when you think back about that, what you find is you think about all the people who got you through something really stressful is happening in your office. There's always that one person, the leader who comes in and demonstrates to everyone let's not overreact let's take it you know let's let's go through all the facts let's sort this through and and then either they delegate through depending on on their on their wiring either they take charge or they organize others to take ownership yes and um and when you and when you can and when you do that but if you're naturally wired as someone who panics you're going to have to either put on a mask and pretend to be someone you're not to do that. And and people can do that. That's called behavioral modification. The only thing is it burns you out. It's what tires you out. It's what burns all your energy. You know, if you have to go to work and pretend to be someone you're not all day, it's like you got a mask on the end of a stick and you're holding it in front of your face. Mm. And then you got to do this. You can do this for a while, but after a while, your arms are going to get tired. And then it all collapses. Hmm. So, so yeah. So, so those, so so those three big things. Not one of those things is in the resume, and that's when I realized this is here's the flaw in the hiring system. We're not measuring what matters up front. Hmm. We're measuring it. We're measuring what matters kind of after we've hired them.
0: Yeah. Um, another favorite line of mine of yours, Tim, is an interview is two people sitting across the table lying to each other.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're going back, the, the traditional hiring system is somebody you know, sends in a resume and then we bring them in there because they've got the right, they got the right, they, they, they know the right things and they've got experience. And then they, they come into the interview and then and for some reason, an interview takes an hour. I don't know why it needs to take an hour because the decision was made in about four and a half minutes,
0: Mm.
1: right? You're you're sitting there and you've made a decision in the first four to five minutes, whether or not you want to go on with this person. And what you see a really interesting shift happen at about four to five minutes. And you can see it when we, because, and by the way, I learned this working in corporate, because one of the things I had to do in in the early 90s, was I had to videotape people so they could see themselves doing j- interviews with potential employees. So we used to do role playing and, and, and we would set up a camera and they would do interviewing so they could see what they look like. And I started seeing the pattern in all the videos that somewhere between four and five minutes, they would actually physically shift in their chairs. Okay. They would They would physically change as a recruiter. And I, I, I didn't know this, but I just started seeing this. After you start watching the hundreds of these things, you start seeing the pattern. And and um, and then what happened was I noticed that at that point, if they want to hire them, they start selling them on why this is such a great job and why this is such a great organization. Mm-hmm. You see the softball questions coming through. When when they've decided no, this isn't the right person, they they, they start going down and asking questions to validate for themselves yeah this isn't the right person they start fulfilling their own prophecy they change the way they listen
0: interesting
1: yeah and it was funny you know because one of the things that you had asked me a long time ago about um you know what makes you do what you do and i said it's funny you know you know i i I truly believe that everybody has some sort of superpower Mm. right and um it's the one that I think I evolved over time. And it starts way back when I was in, in music as a percussionist and a drummer was for some reason, I see patterns quicker than others. Yes. So I watch all these videos and I see the pattern and then I go dig deep into it to see what, what's behind it. And that started leading to what got us into where we are today. It's because yeah. I was out doing, remember I was doing, I came out of the corporate world. I went and did a whole bunch of training did a whole bunch of work for companies to help them build their sales teams. And I started realizing that in organizations, national companies, they would have people in like Winnipeg who would go through a training program and they would hugely excel. And the numbers would go through the roof and everybody followed along. You'd go to Moncton. This is not a shot at Moncton. It's a shot at this company in Moncton. They would and have all these people go through the exact same training and nothing would happen. And you'd go, well, is it that, you know, that train didn't work. And then I start recognizing, wait a minute, well, what is it about the people in Winnipeg that was different than the people in Moncton? Because it's the yeah. same product, it's the same company. Why is it, is it the, and they would say things, well, you know, the market in Moncton very different. Okay, what I, oddly enough, one of the things that I had started doing, and this was purely because, and I, oh, you know, whole transparency i got started using assessment tools because i thought they would be something kind of fun to give them at the beginning of a training session and Woo! i you know and i and i put it out there this we're now we're talking 1997 okay. 98 and i'm doing this training and i just happened to use this little assessment and i I was looking at the data that came up to the assessments and I realized there was a very different profile in Winnipeg and the salespeople than there was in Moncton. And it got me thinking, huh, maybe there's something in here. Maybe there's something about the who they are. And then I got into the whole world of assessment tools. Because then, of course, like I got obsessed about trying to figure out why do we hire the right person? Yeah, I got that obsessed about figuring out everything is and I'm saying, you know, I now knee deep in every assessment tool that's ever been created. And I ended up having a bit of a career going around being a consultant, helping people figure out what the right assessment tool was, though, because, you know, I had played with like 5,600 different assessment tools, and I liked about 12 of them. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I started going around looking for, and then I started finding that what I really need didn't exist, and I got very fortunate back in about 2010 after that recession. Um, when we all discovered, um, oh, we need to kind of reorganize our companies so we can get through this. Uh, I started, I saw a bunch of other companies um, merged, got purchased. There was some really great talent that got displaced. I was just very fortunate to meet up with them. And we started building our own assessment tools. Ah. And that's how I became a technology company. Because now then um, I'm not a techie, but I brought in with me a business partner. So Put on my business hat here. My, my, my big recommendation to people is, is if you're thinking about retiring, but you want your business to keep going, why not bring in a business partner who's 20 years younger than you so they'll buy you out? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that's kind of what happened. And we became, now now we're a technology company that uses all these values and principles and ideas that we collected over the last 20 years. So it's a long journey, but every step in it's really important to get into where it create this kind of unique opportunity where you got a technology company that is just loaded with immersed in different content yeah. about understanding fit.
0: So let's dig in a little bit into that, Tim, because you talk about that. There's four elements of fit you need to look into. Let's. So we did something with three. So let's go to four now. Okay. What are the four elements of fit?
1: So the so so if you think about fit. And as as being uh, a four a four sided wheel, how's that for a really bad analogy? <laughs>
0: That's a square, Tim. Just so I you know,
1: know. <laughs> but I can't. But I need the rule. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm, I'm glad, but but there's there, it's funny. there's in, in business, um, we've got the whole business. Like as a business owner, you're always making business decisions around trailing indicators in your business. You're looking at what were your numbers last week, last month. You're, lo- you're always looking, you know, what was your turnover? What, what is your inventory um, movement? Whatever the measurement is in your business, it's always something looking back. You're, you're looking at something that's already happened. Yeah.
0: There's
1: nothing you can do today that's going to change yesterday's numbers. No. Okay. That's how people run their business. Then we thought about 20 years ago, we started talking about your people. If my people were more engaged, then that would improve my trailing indicators. So there was this big movement to get more engaged employees. Mm. What we learned over time was that engagement isn't something you can do with a workshop. There's nothing you can do today,
0: or a foosball table.
1: Yeah, uh, there's nothing you can do today that is going to engage your people today to change. Yesterday's number, the change, the numbers, right? Right. The numbers will improve because you do something really well over a long period of time. Okay. Or your numbers are affected because you don't do something really well over a long period of time. Starting to do it one day doesn't change things for that day. So we'll call those intermediate indicators. What you're talking about is what I call leading indicators in a business. Mm -hmm. And if you can go into an organization and you can find the four critical aspects of fit within their org chart, there's fit with the job. That's the one that most people would know how to look for because that's what we do. Well, that's our focus, right? Right. Yeah. Then there's fit with the manager. And, you know, the most valuable relationship because- I'm sure I'm not the only person today in, on this call that at some point in their career didn't have fit with their manager. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't mean you left, but you, um, your productivity, your engagement, um, your contribution <clears throat> was, was not where it could have been.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you, 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 you didn't go the extra. If anything, you tried to figure out what was the minimum.
0: Work to rule, if you
1: will. Yeah, you know, avoid, avoid conflict because I just want to deal with them. Yeah. Um, so they got fit with the job, fit with the manager. They got fit with the team. Now, fit with the team, you know, if, if you've got an, or if you've got a team working together and when one person goes off on vacation, everybody's happier, you got a sign. <laughs>
0: Don't ignore the signs.
1: Don't ignore the sign owners. <laughs> you know, when, when, when when's Julie going on vacation? You know, if that, you know.
0: Oh she sure. okay. Excellent. And, you,
1: know, you know, and it's really interesting too, is you'll see there's also like the like the school teachers earlier on. I, I still bring back the I mean I always never forget the calendar marking when their next vacation day was. You know, you know, you know that this is their focus. Yeah. So they'll fit with the team, you know, and, 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 you know, and, we, and you bring in the wrong person, you could lose the person that was the best part of your team. If the fit's not with the team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then there's fit with the organization's culture, right. And the values and, um, it's fine. Organi- every organization has an employee brand. Yeah. Every empl- Every organization has an employee culture. Yeah. It doesn't mean they defined it, but they all have one.
0: Yeah, they can be, they can be deliberate about it, or it can just happen.
1: Well, and and, and don't worry if you don't pick your um, your culture, your employees will. And 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 it's nice to see that that's now becoming more and more part of the conversation. It's interesting, right? Just yesterday, uh, I met with an organization. They are professional recruiters in Ontario. And that is exactly the core of their business, is why and the, what they're using us to support their clients with is I'm um, going in now because that when they did recruiting in the past, they used to go and look for skill set. They'd look for the resume. Has the person got all the credentials? I call them, have they got all the admission tickets to the game.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. But the part they weren't measuring was the who they are.
0: I'm and, always surprised when how few recruiters use any type of assessment tool. Other oh, then how fast can you type and do you know, word?
1: Well, what they'll do though, is they'll interview them. And you yeah. said when the interview, like the interview is two people sitting across the table from each other, lying to each other. One's trying to tell them about how they're going to be able to join this organization and, not co- and be an asset and not cause any problems. And the other one's trying to tell them why it's such a great place to work, right? Yeah, you said earlier, Wendy, that, you know, then they go and they have these group interviews. That's when we go find out, We think that's how we'll see if they're a fit with the team. Let's bring in all the managers. The decision that most people end up making gets end up being the compromise, the one that they can all accept. Mm. And then when it doesn't work out, there's always one in the room that says, well, I didn't really like them, but you guys thought you did.
0: I'd like to um, talk a little bit more about assessment tools, because obviously that's that's the the, the wormhole you were down for a long time. (laughs) Um, Because I know I've used them and it's helped tremendously talk about patterns. You know, there was one time we were going to hire someone and someone on your team goes, you know, that's the same uh, profile or the same assessment uh, numbers as the person you just fired. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? But you don't know that if you don't do the assessments or you don't have, have a conversation. So when you think about small to medium-sized businesses, what can they do to make sure they're finding the right fits for their organization? Because I would think it's even more critical for a small organization to make the right choice because oh. they don't have resources and other things to bring the person along
1: or to absorb them. So so when they, you know, yeah, let's, let's take an example of a company that has three employees. Yes you're talking about the next person you bring in is going to be the fourth employee and that's not going to be 25% of your brand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You think about how much time, effort and energy you would spend to define your brand. Remember the six hours of the deliberation around what color our logo would be? Yes. Okay. The, the, the first step is start with self. If you're running a small business, you're wearing five different hats. You've got you've got an org chart. And, and when I talk about org chart, I don't talk about an org chart with all the names of the I'm talking about a functional org chart. If if I always tell people the best thing to do is build a functional org chart. Build a chart of all the things you do. You know, um, you're you you make stuff, you sell stuff, you deliver stuff, the you've got file stuff all in a list of all those things, and then put a name next to the person who does all those different functions. And you'll find out in a small business, you'll see where you are. Now, if you were to start the very first assessment that any organization should do is themselves, mm. because how are you going to recognize fit with the team and fit with the manager? If you don't even know what team and manager look like to compare to. Mm. And, and from that you can get an understanding because the self-awareness part of it of under- and again there's when we talk about assessment um, there's a lots of different ones out there what I'm talking about is not measuring how you act I'm talking about measuring the who you are okay. And there's, there's different, how do you know
0: the difference within all these tools? Because like you said, there's a there's a plethora of them.
1: Oh, it's insane. So the, the big thing to note is if they're talking about behavioral preferences, then you're looking at how you act. Okay. So um, co- the construct of the questions would be is, here's four words. Which one's most like you? Which one's least like you? These are self-assessments. Yeah. And that would be the how you act tools. Um, by the way, do not hear into the me from me here that these are bad tools. These are good tools, but the purpose for them is team building. The purpose okay. for them is not hiring. It's not about placement into an org chart. It's about um, how are we going to work together? Because you like to act this way, you prefer to act this way, and you prefer to act that way. Yeah. But what I'm looking for in this step is I'm looking for the what's called a normative tool. I'm looking for one where. We're going to give you a statement, and then we're going to you're going to rate that statement how much you agree with it. The system is then going to take how you agree to that statement and compare it to a population of a whole. So um, one of our like uh, the tool we use most commonly, the one we have that we built called Talent Sorter, that one runs off a, a case study of thirty six thousand participants to create a norm, okay. and then on top of that. We've got 1,250 different jobs that we've built the ideal candidate profile on top of that. So we can go and say, "There's the fit with the job," but but I can't. I can do fit with the job. That's the easy part. What I what I need the data from is the business owner to do the fit with the manager. Right. And 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 figuring out if you are bringing in the right next person. Um. i mean, You know, Wendy. One of the books that you and I both like going back like 25 years ago was the E Myth Revisited. Yeah. Uh, By Michael Gerber. And one of the things in there was that this woman baked pies and she baked pies and all her friends told her, wow, you bake really great pies. You should run a bakery. Yeah. Right. And then she starts bringing in people to actually, you know, do the work that she was the best at. (laughs) And then she ended up in an org chart filling all the roles that she wasn't the right fit for. So she then, you know, and that's what creates all the cut. And we do that all the time. So if you're a, so you know if you're a small business, you've only got finite number of hours in a week to spend on your business. Spend them on the hours where you're going to add the most value and bring in someone to do the part. To you know, like if you could spend seventy five percent of your day calling on your strengths and who you are, seventy five percent of the day watch the bottom line of your business excel.
0: Right. If you
1: have to pretend, if you have to go to work and pretend to be someone you're not, um, you are burning energy and you're probably burning cash.
0: Interesting.
1: But this is the, so, so, you know, I know long answer to what you'd like is to be a simple, short question, but the short answer is start with self, figure out your role. And so then are the elements of those weaknesses.
0: What are the elements that are measured in who you are? Three biggies. Okay.
1: There's the. We're back
0: to three, are we? Okay, good. Well, you know, Lindy, you know why it's three? Because <laughs> we like three.
1: No. Goldilocks and the. Three bears. Three, three. blind.
0: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Mice.
1: Yeah. So our brains are wired to remember everything in threes. Okay. The ultimate test is name me the three nephews of Donald Duck.
0: Huey, Louie.
1: See, someone knew Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I miss Dewey, okay. All right, so the three
0: things that it's measuring.
1: Three things. One is not how smart you are, but how you process information.
0: Okay.
1: So what is, what, you know, are you, are you one who is uh, very much, um, if you think about it as the two ends of the spectrum?
0: Yeah.
1: Now again, one's not better than the other. They're just, just or different than each other. But you've got at one end of the spectrum, you've got people who are water buckets and information water. Now the water goes in the water bucket really fast. They, you know, they inhale information. They yeah. just absorb it. Great. Um, when they got a, it's like they've got a monster between their ears that always needs to be fed. Downside to the water buckets, when you run down the hallway, some of the water falls out, and that's all that detailed stuff. They've forgotten more things than they've learned in the last month. You know, um, on the, and, and, and if you have a whole team of people who are water buckets, all the conversation goes really quick. Everything, all the decisions can happen really fast but then they need to make sure they got somebody who's going to catch all the water that falls out of the bucket because they all move on to the next thing. These are the people who have to have problems to solve. And once a problem's solved, they move on. Yeah, They're not maintenance people, they're growth people. Gotcha. The other end, you got a wine bottle. Now the wine bottle can hold the same amount of water as the water bucket. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the hole on top's a little smaller. So it takes a little longer to get it in there.
0: Okay.
1: Right. Um, they learn it in pieces, repetition, step by step. But once it's all in there, they run down the hallway, and none of the water falls out of the wine bottle. Okay. These, these are your, these will become your executional animals. These are the ones that once they've learned something, they will do it over and over and over again. Like oddly enough, sales. What is sales? Right. Sales, um, sales comes up um, and what it is, it's going around telling people what you believe in. Yeah. And you go and you tell 10 people today. Advanced sales is do it again tomorrow. And do it again the next day. High learning index people, high cognitive people need problems to solve. They'll fall into more of the consultative type. Okay, let's solve your problem. There's not one's better than the other. They're just different.
0: Okay. So
1: got, how,
0: how I process information is number one.
1: Then there's the, who you are, your yeah. behavioral traits.
0: So what are some of my behavioral traits?
1: So um, how you make a decision. Okay. Do you, are you comfortable with risk? Are you naturally comfortable? Well, will you make a decision without having all the information? Mm. And if so, when you do that, As you get new information, are you gonna be comfortable changing your mind? On the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who can't make a decision until they have all the information in front of them. Yeah. But then once they've made their decision, they're not changing because they invested so much time effort and energy to get there.
0: And like you said, neither one is wrong. It's just just about which one fits best with you and your team and what you need to have done.
1: so, So if you're somebody who makes decisions very comfortably without on risk and is more, let's course, course correct as we're going along, you better match yourself up with someone who can live with that. And at mm-hmm. the same time, are you prepared to have someone be um, what I call the speed bump in your organization? The one that the one who needs more information says, wait a minute, need to think of this. Yeah. That And that's very, deli- see, now you're, now you're building a team.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, the whole being the leader do you yeah. want people who are wired to be specifically do their best engagement when they're um, got someone who's a strong one who's directing them? Or are they the one that steps up and leads others? Yeah, yeah. Um, do they need feedback? That's a good one. Um, I've got both ends of the spectrum in, in the in the people that I've managed in the past, right? I've had the ones that no feedback meant everything was going just fine. yeah right? I remember in my career, I never had a time where someone said, Tim, I'd like you to come down to my office. I have some feedback for you. And it ended well. So (laughs) I'd rather have. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: What's number
1: three, Tim? Okay. Um, Number three is occupational interest and motivators.
0: Okay. What does that mean? What do you like
1: to do? What, what, What gives you energy? Yeah. Right. So I'm, what gives me energy is this. I love sharing stories and telling the story and, and 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 giving a giving giving a picture to other people to get them to think a bit.
0: That's awesome. Okay. I really feel like we could talk all day, Tim. But what I'm going to do is that we have time for one question. And Melanie, it's it's you, my dear. So here, come on over. Melanie comes to most of these tapings. She's amazing. Go.
2: Well, thank you. Hi, <laughs> Hi. This was fascinating, and I've just. Uh, we're an um, early stage startup, and we just have uh, hired our first full-time employee with grant funding, and I got very fortunate, very lucky. It, we landed. We had one applicant. So, um, But I, I, what comes up, uh, many things come up. I'm going to try and be concise because I know time is an issue here. But we hear of this idea of fit, and sometimes, so what helped me is to see what you're talking about is fit and be as a behavioral. That really was a light bulb for me because oftentimes I think some people use the word fit as to maintain the status quo. And that's not always oh. great for your bottom line either. So I wonder if you could just speak to that because well, do you see fit as sometimes holding companies back?
1: Oh yeah. Because, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. Right. Um,
2: diversity oh, and
1: different. Oh, so, 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 Melanie, a little bit more of my story, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I had to come to a term that I, the company had gotten bigger than I was the right person to be running it. So about two and a half years ago, oddly just before we had ever heard of something called COVID, um, I went to my business partner and says, you know what, we need to be more of a testimonial of our own process. You know, we're all about getting fit within the organization. And right now my role has changed to the point I'm no longer the right fit. I'm not, this is not the best use of my time, effort, and energies. Mm-hmm. And I said, what I need to do is shift my role to go back to being one who's more engaged with helping people figure out what they need to do with their organizations and let someone else run our organization. Right. Uh, bottom line profit since then, with all the other things that have been going on, has projected very straight up. Because right. okay. the place runs better when you got the right fit of who you are as well.
2: Yeah, and and fill, filling in for your, maybe the things that you're not as strong at with somebody who is. So well, it's, yeah. that's where the diversity element can come in to fit. Okay, so that-, that
1: Yeah, so right. as I say, say, Mellie, one of the things too, that a lot of organizations, and a lot of companies make the mistake is performance reviews. Here's all the things you do really well. Mm-hmm. Here's all the things that you need to work on. Immediately, I cringe. Because I think if your whole focus is to work on your weaknesses, all you're going to do is bring you up at best to average.
2: Yeah.
1: And average is awful. Yeah. What would happen if you had a performance review? Here's the things you do really well. And let's look at your role. So you do more of this.
2: I love that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What would happen? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's awesome.
0: Thank you, Melanie. Uh, okay. So I must say, this has been a fabulous, fabulous interview, Tim. If you had a parting thought, what would it be?
1: A parting thought? Um, stop, uh, reflect, and look at, are you in the role in your own organization where you're giving the most value to your own organization? Are, are you, you know, um, we, the... Check your ego at the door. Check your ego at the door, but you know... every. Uh, I I remember many, many years ago having a conversation with a business owner of a company with about 200 employees and I told him I thought his organization looked like an old milk bottle. And he said, well, what do you mean by that, Tim? I said, the bottleneck and the cream are both at the top.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: And he said, are you saying I'm the problem? I said, no, I'm just asking. (laughs) And that's funny. And it's that what got me to think about. I had created that old Noteball in my own organization and I had Mm -hmm. to find another spot.
0: Well, Tim's available at uh, talentsorter.com, I think, if you wanted to go check out some of the tools he has. They're amazing. We use them ourselves. And I think the real bottom line here is what got you here won't get you there. Thanks so much for your time
1: today, Tim. Really appreciate it. Oh, it was fun, Wendy. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.